title of the message this morning, To Be Lifted Up. To Be Lifted Up. To Be Lifted Up. Psalm 94, verse 17 and 19 says this. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, consolation, what did it do? What it, it brought joy to my soul. Now, I was thinking about that word comfort. That's not just a, a word of assurance. No, it's not. It's not a word of assurance that we keep just in spite of the state of our hearts or actions. No, no. It's a word that actually leads us to the to place the right motive and right actions. We can fully understand and embrace the truth and the true comfort of our Lord. Because the Scripture tells us clearly, and I think each one of us at some point might be able to testify, that there is a peace that passes all understanding. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is true. Regardless of what the storms are around us, whatever the circumstances are, regardless of the decisions people make that affect our lives, ultimately we can find rest in Him. Rest because of the finished work of the cross. We can find His peace. And, and that enables us to trust the Lord. Trust that He'll be glorified and He will he'll keep us from being overcome. Amen. Folks, I guess we could say that the finish, finish line is in sight. And we don't need to be the finest group that is running in this race. The finest group taking, coming around the corner. Because you know what? The race isn't about us. It's about Christ, who's kept us to the very end. Amen. And amen. Praise His name. Father, I ask now you give each one heart and mind direct to your word, Lord. Let your word come forth in a way, Lord, that will bring comfort, stir our hearts, challenge us, Lord. And truly, Lord, I recognize the weakness, the frailty of this human body, this flesh. But I understand the power of your word, the anointing thereof. And Lord, I pray each heart and mind will be open to your word and receive that. And let it not be just an activity we do on a Sunday morning, but Father, let that word be transferred into our everyday life. And we might recognize your greatness, Lord, in all things. And you receive that glory and honor. As we lift your name higher, draw all men unto yourself. And you receive my, my praise. My praise, Lord, and the praise of those who have served you and will continue. Give us strength we need for the day in which we come. We come through, Lord, the journey, Lord, before us. And we will rely upon only upon your grace and mercy. We love you a bunch. Amen and amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 says this. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will or may remain. As I look at the passage of Scripture, it's talking about things being shaken. There's something that's being shaken. What is that? Is What's being shaken? The created things are being shaken, but the Scripture gives us hope in saying, but there are certain things that cannot be shaken which remain. You know what? So often as human beings, we often look at all those things that actually are created and whether we know it or not, we're putting our trust and hope in those things which will be shaken and will not remain. And our desire is to become more like Christ, get into His Word, apply those principles to our lives so that when things are shaken, there will be some things still remain. And let that Word of God be true in our hearts. Let those things which cannot be shaken remain in our lives as we completely trust Him for all things. You know, the Bible... We'll talk about two things in Scripture that will be shaken. First of all, he talks about the last days. 
In the last days, he said, all things will be shaken. And I think even our society today, we see a lot of things being shaken. The foundations are being shaken. And I hope and pray by the end of the message this morning, we'll have a greater understanding of what can be shaken and why it will be shaken. But there's something else also Apostle Paul brings out in Thessalonians. He says this. He talks about a great falling away that will happen in the last day. He talks about a great falling away. There will be a separation of those even within the church, even with those professing to be in the church of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by the prophecies or reports of letters supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day... Notice this, will not come until what? The rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and man, the man doomed to destruction. Paul is talking a little bit about a great falling away. And it's not only a falling away in society, but as you look at Scripture, you're going to find there's also going to be a falling away for those who attend the house of God. So how can that be? Well, it's simple. They're attending the house of God, but they've never really been fully a part of the life of Christ. They've taken care of the surface things. They have figured out what was right, what was wrong by the law, but they never allowed the principles to draw them to the person of Christ. They've never gone any further than letting that transfer occur from this present world into the kingdom of God and begin to live that way. And that's been a challenge throughout all the generations. Jesus himself was challenged by allowing, somehow trying to get the message of the of the, then the, the covenant and the temple and the tabernacle and all the rituals going there, try to get all of that to somehow allow the folks to realize that that is to apply to their daily life. Not just something that's done on the holy days or on the Sabbath, but actually that was supposed to be interwoven with their daily living. And that's the challenge we have today. Same challenge that they had so many years ago Jesus had. That the words being spoken this morning won't just be words that we hear on a Sunday morning and then we go about our business on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. No, no, no. But the principles of God's Word, that the words spoken this morning will be engrafted, will become part of our life, daily life. And we'll find that transformation that goes within our lives. But Paul the Apostle is talking now about a great falling away. You see, there's something they had given. Folks were, and he's talking about a folks in the last day, which will come to church, they will hear the message, and then they'll leave, and not being transformed, not transferring what the word and what their lives are into the kingdom of God. But what happens as a result, there's still something in their lives that still relate to the, the world around them, the desires of the world around them. And as a result, they're being drawn away. They don't mean to be, but because... Religion for them is just an outward and it's all about works and laws. The transformation never occurred within and so therefore they're drawn. They don't have the ability to resist temptation. They're led by the things around them, their emotions, their feelings, etc. And James actually addresses this. Look what he does in James chapter 4, verse 1. He said, What causes the fights and quarrels among you? That's simple. He doesn't pick up those laundry. He doesn't take and, and flush or keep the toilet seat down. or, or except All these things come up. Well, all the reasons why we're fighting. But look what he says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within? 
You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you what? What you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. But you may what? Spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4. Now remember, who is, <laughs> this is important. Who is James speaking to? He's speaking to the church. Okay? And in verse 4 he says, you adulterous people. I think the next time vote comes up to keep the preacher, he's going to go. Talking to those people like that. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit that caused, that He caused to live in you and in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. And that's why the Scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives peace to the humble. He says, submit yourselves, what? Then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Remember, he's talking to the church. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10. Here it is. Here's the hope. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And what? He will lift you up. I tell you what, in the beginning of all this don't sound too good. But then we get to verse 10. He will lift you up. There's a promise there. He will lift you up. Now, if I go back in history a little bit, historians essentially agree that James is writing this portion of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit right after Stephen had been martyred. See, Stephen had been martyred by an angry crowd. He offended them. You know, he offended them. He challenged their spiritual eliteness. He was actually trying to drain the spiritual swamp. And they killed him for it. See, they don't like to be offended. They were offended by his theology. They were offended this spiritual elite, the spiritual swamp of the day. They were offended by, by what he claimed. He claimed to have an open vision of heaven. He claimed that he saw Christ. And that didn't sit with their theology. They felt challenged by that. They felt damned by that, condemned by that. And so they killed him. Now the head of the church in Jerusalem at this point is James. Now James is very well aware of the immense persecution that's occurring on that first generation church. After the resurrection, there was an awful lot of persecution that came upon the other church. And so you would ask yourself the question, why would James who is in Jerusalem, head of Jerusalem, understands the persecution that they're going through. Why would he speak so strong words? Why would he say to them, you're an adulterous people? Don't you think his message should have been, let's hang on there, you know, let's hang in there, comfort the Lord God, going to bless us, you know, let's pull together. You think he would have been encouraging in some way. But instead he doesn't. He gives them a strong word. Now, I happen to believe that he actually was encouraging them. I believe he's actually sharing with them how they could face the storm, the persecution. But they had to make a change in their life. The promise was that in the midst of the persecution, all was going on, God would lift them up. But there had to be a change. They had to take what they heard, the head knowledge, had to become part of their life. They had to rearrange their priorities, get their focus on what was real and not what's around them for the moment. They had to begin to think eternally. Eternally, they had to begin to think about, put their focus, Focus on the blessed hope. He says to them, verse 
for. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. As I read this passage of Scripture and I think about Jerusalem, what they're going through, immediately I'm like, whoa, Jerusalem, the church there had to be filled with people who desired to live for the Lord. There had to be people who, they're under persecution. They hadn't buckled. They're, they're facing extreme pressure. that They had to be people living for God at some point. They had to have that attitude, right? They're still there. See, I believe that while James is addressing the problems found in the early church, I believe the Holy Spirit also is giving some understanding of what would be found in humanity throughout the coming ages, what we would face today. And so, Pastor Bob, you say, well, what then is the core issues? What really is the core issues here that James is trying to address? Well, I think there's at least seven. And, and I, as I look at those core issues, I believe that also... There's that weakness that each one of us, well, can be found in each one of our own personal lives. And that weakness that's found in our lives could actually cause us to fall away from the Lord when things don't go exactly like we plan, like we think. Things aren't being fair. And the very first thing I come up with is unsurrendered desires. Well, that's what the Scripture says. That's what James says. James says in verse 1, he says this, What causes fights and quarreling among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? There's some unsurrendered desires that you're keeping on the inside. And because you're keeping those, under, those unsurrendered desires on the inside, it's causing conflict with those outside. Because what's in does come out, right? So he's asking them, all right, there's conflicts. They rec- obviously, they recognize there are conflicts. And he says, what are those, what's the purpose? What, what, what's the cause of those conflicts? He said, I'll tell you what the problem is and what the cause is this. They're coming from desires in your heart that you've, there's areas in your life that you've not surrendered over to the will of God. And he begins begins to announce what they are. They are a desire for personal gain. That desire for pleasure. That's what you're focused on. And as a result of that's causing conflict. You know, there's a wide range of selfishness that was being displayed in the church that day, apparently. And I would say if we step back and really take a good evaluation of the church today, that we would also say there is also a wide range of selfishness being displayed in the church even today. Pettiness. Or that desire to be greater than others. It always leads to fights. It always leads to, well, splits even in the church. I don't know if you faced it or not, but you come into church one Sunday morning and you go to sit down and someone is sitting in your seat. That ain't right. That ain't right. I've been sitting in that chair, that pew, for five years plus. And now, what am I going to do? You're sitting in my pew. First of all, I don't know that I would really want to be sitting in your pew. <laughs> but you're sitting in my seat. You know, what's going on here? Can someone tell that person to move, please? Now you're sitting in some other place and you can't worship God. Why? Because this utterly profound thing happened in your life like somebody's sitting in my seat. And so that's what you're focused on. You can't worship the Lord. You can't raise your hand. You can't glorify Him because someone is sitting in my seat. It is true. I see you sometimes. What am I going to do now? (laughs) You know. 
Wait till this place is full. Then what are you going to do? You'll all be early trying to figure out. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see pieces of paper. Don't sit here. Or the wrath of God will get you, you know. <laughs> Reserved, that's right. Maybe it's not that, but maybe. Somebody prayed over you and said there was some great promise that was going to occur in your life. You're an experience. And so you heard of this great promise and you're holding on to this great promise and you're praying that all you want got promise. You want to experience that promise. But the reason that you're holding on to that promise, the view of that promise for your life is out of step with God's purpose. That's something that you would like because it would take care of you and bring you pleasure and take care of some of the problems you might have in your own personal life. So as a result of that, you can pray all you want, but that prayer is never going to get answered. Even there may be a promise there, but because of the motivation, because of the desire, hang it up. You know, today, just like the, in the days of the past, many are still embracing the core, core values of a fallen world. And the sad part is it's in the church. And when it's in the church, we lose our saltiness. And when we lose our saltiness as the church, the body of Christ, we lose our authority. Amen and our influence, and our communities around. So we become more like the folks outside as folks inside. There's really no distinction between the two, other than the fact that we carve out a little bit of time to come to church on a Sunday or a Bible study. Wow. And so that's what, that's what James is referencing. He references the people as adulterers. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh. But what he's basically saying is, you're still embracing the value system of the world. You've not made that transfer of your heart into the kingdom of God. Your thoughts are not like His thoughts. Your goals, your plans, your desires are not like His. They're not in line with His. In fact, you're not any really, there's really no difference between you and the people in this world. All you did was add Jesus to it. You put a bumper sticker on the back of your car. You added Jesus to it. So he says, you know what? It's an issue. And then the second is that we're embracing the world. James addresses that in chapter 4, verse 2 through eight, two, uh, 2 and 3. You want something, you, but you don't get it. You kill and cover it, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you do ask, you, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you may want, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's the desire. Somebody says, well, pass the bottle. Can't we have pleasures? Sure. You can buy the best looking car, the biggest car you Lord provides. Praise God. But use it. Use it to pick some folks up, bring them to church. Put a big old patio on the back of your house. Big old screened in thing. Great praise God. Invite them over for the fire pit. Just share the love of Jesus. Use it as an instrument to bring forth the message of Jesus. It's not about you, it's about him. You can have the pleasures of this world. It's praise God. Go ahead, go for it, enjoy it. But use it for the kingdom of God that he might be exalted. That's not so hard, folks, to do that. Come on over! I got free steak! Praise God! Folks will come. Amen. Gary, we're looking for the steaks again. <laughs> Let me paraphrase what's going on in James chapter 4. He's basically saying this. Look at You want something. You really want it bad. And so you'll kill for it. And your mentality is, if I can't have it, you're not going to have it either. I'm going to kill you for it. 
You're so envious. He's saying you're so envious, you, you fight and quarrel. And all the time, you, you're not satisfied because you're selfish. And because you're selfish, you'll never experience satisfaction, ever. That's what he was saying to them, paraphrased. I hope we're never like that. I hope we're never like that older woman that says, boy, I wish I had her figure. And she's looking at the old folks. <laughs> she's, I wish I had her diamonds. And then he's saying, oh, if I only had his money. And the older man say, oh, if he was my, she was my wife. I hope we're not like that. I hope we're not in a position where we're never satisfied. We want all these things because we think that those things are supposed to make us happy. But, but, but we, we strive for them. They seem to be always out of our reach. Out of our reach. Why? 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 When Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will never go hungry. Who believes in me will never, never be thirsty. Folks, let me ask you, do you truly believe that Jesus said those words? Do you really believe that he is the bread of life? Do you really believe that if we come to him, apply his principles to our lives, if we allow him to be tran transform our lives, if we transfer our lives from this kingdom to his kingdom, that, that we will never be thirsty, he'll provide for us? Do we really, truly believe that? If we believe it, then why do we see so many folks running from church to church, conference to conference, trying to find something, trying to find some satisfaction, some comfort, some answer somewhere. They're just looking for that, and you know what? They do all that, and they still don't find satisfaction. Why? 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 It's always outside their grasp. People say, well, I'm always grasping, always believing, always, but, but it seems like I can't obtain that. And I'm always fighting, and there's always struggle. There's always chaos around me. My prayers, I, I pray and ask others to pray, and we bind together, and we agree. I agree this. We all agree that, yes, this prayer needs to be answered, but, but the prayers seem to be fruitless. And then James gives us a reason. Verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive. Why? It's got nothing to do with how much faith you have. We've talked about this so often. You can have faith the size of a grain, a grain of a mustard seed. And say the mountains be removed. See, it's not the amount of faith you have. It's who you put your faith in. We've talked about it so often in Bible study. You can, in the dead of winter, you know, you can go to a pond and the pond has ice over it. And you can say, oh, praise God, I'm going to take my faith. It's going to hold me up. And you go out there and you're down. Why? Because it's only half inch. And the same scenario, you can have the same thing, but this time the ice is a foot thick. And sit on a car, I don't know if I'll do that. You know, I may, I may drown, you know. I have a little faith. Listen, it's got nothing to do with the amount of faith you have. It has to do with the object of your faith. Believing that he is, the reward of those who diligently seek. Wow. He goes, it's not the amount of faith, it's that motivation. It's what your eyes are upon. Are you praying from the kingdom of, from the point of the kingdom of this world? Or are you pay, praying from the, from the vision of the kingdom to come? Are you praying with this kingdom in mind? Or are you praying with his kingdom in mind? That's a difference. That's a good principle, by the way. She made that up. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wow. Are we asking the Lord to bless 
a plan that's not his? Instead, a plan that's coming from our own desires, our own heart. It's what I want, it's what I feel like, what I need. And so what's the motive? He's saying, what's the motive behind that? You're, you're praying, but, you're, but you're, you're asking God to bless something that you're not called to be. You're asking Him to endorse a, a path that, that is not, he's not, He doesn't desire to put your feet on. You're asking Him to make something that will happen, or make you something that, that you're not designed to be either. The plan you have is it God's plan. Or is it a plan that's being mustered from the lust of your heart? For acceptance, to, to look good, to keep up with the Joneses. You know, how you, you know how you keep up with the Joneses? You steal from the Robinsons. I thought that was funny. I said, you know, I said come on, man, you got to stop that. You know, I, Just one of those things that make me laugh. My little twisted mind at that moment. It wasn't very spiritual, I know, but I thought that. I said, you know, that's probably true. <laughs> it's the real things. Do you have a plan that God is not God's plan? Is it coming from the lust of your own desires and wants? And maybe I go back to the fact that you're standing, you were standing in a place of service sometime, and somebody came over and spoke supposedly the word of God to you, and it was great, it was great, wonderful things to happen. You wanted it to happen, you're holding on to it, but the view is wrong. Your focus is wrong, the purpose is wrong. That promise might be for your life, but you see that promise as being fulfilled in a certain way, to be used in a certain way, but God may have a different plan for it. That blessing. So it never comes answered. See, the bottom line here is this. James is rebuking that church. And the reason why he's rebuking the church in light of the persecution is that they are still embracing the core values of a fallen world. And that was making their persecution even worse. It was causing them to doubt and question the Lord's love and care. And that's the reason why James is writing such a strong rebuke to a persecuted church. And that's the reason why he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He's basically saying you're still embracing the values of this system of the world. You can have the head knowledge, but you're embracing the system of the world. You're living out the system of the world. You haven't made that transference of your heart into the kingdom of God. You're still not, you're not embracing the ways of God. Your thoughts are still not in line with his thoughts. You're not a whole lot different than the world itself. Just attach God to it. You want the gold, you want the position, you want the power, and you want the comfort. You want to retire at age 62 or whatever comes your way. And you want to live your lives, blessed of God, in the Caribbean, singing songs of praise to Jesus. (laughs) Yes, it does. What he's saying is that's the value system of the world. The value system of the world seeks for comfort right now. That's what they want. It seeks to experience that comfort and blessing now at the expense of anybody. They have to walk over to get it. So he's challenging them. Your mindset's wrong. Your mindset's wrong. Then he says, I want you to to learn how to resist the devil. Resist him. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then unto God, resist the devil, and what will he do? And we always like, we like to think the devil, he's outside, you know. He's out in the world, but nobody ever believes the truth is that he might be inside the church. Don't look around. The reason I bring that up is because in Ezekiel 28, this is dealing with Satan himself, remember? 
He was the finest of all the angels there. And, and the scripture says here, you were anointed, the what? The guardian, the guardian cherub, where? You were ordained. <laughs> for, so, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Look at that. Satan originally had been that anointed cherub. He had, he had been in God's presence. He had observed God's glory. He saw, but he saw something he didn't like. He saw that he was lower than God himself. And because he wasn't, like he thought he was, should be respected like that, acknowledged in a better place, he became offended. And he rebelled. He caused a rebellion in heaven. He was cast down to earth where he later enters the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are dwelling there in the Garden of Eden and they're quite content with all that God had given them. But the evil one, Satan himself, approaches them with the same lie that he uses today. Does God got you boxed in? Is He holding you back so you can't experience all the joy and all the blessing of this old world? Let me tell you something. We need to step outside that box, okay, and begin to experience the freedom and all that God has provided for you. You know, you're caught up, Adam and Eve. You're just hanging out in this little box. You're just tending a garden. You're just naming some animals, and you meet with them occasionally, and there's so much more that you're missing. Did you know you could become a God like a God? Make your own choices, make your own decisions, do your own thing. You don't need to follow his principles or precepts. No, just do what you feel. Let your heart direct you and guide you. Chart your own course. Plot your own destiny. All you have to do is agree with me. Live by a brand new, live by a system that I have established. Money, power, sex. You'll enjoy it all. And Adam and Eve, they agreed. And the nature of Satan was sown into the entire human race. And so now in verse 7, we're hearing James say, resist the devil! And he'll free from you! Understand, it's not necessarily the evil inside or outside of us, but the evil inside of us. There's a, there's a very nature that was sown into us. That very nature, that fallen nature sown in us makes us pursue something other than God's will in our lives. Causes us to seek happiness outside of the disciplines and outside of putting some things down and making transformation and change within our life. We fall right into the same trap Adam and Eve did. And the message is resist temptation. Resist the temptation to be something other than God has called you to be. And resist it strongly. And then we hear, about that fallen, fallen nature that speaks sometimes to us. The voices. And all the medication in the world is not going to take these voices away. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. Chief priests and teachers of the law, they must be killed, and after three days will rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to what? This guy's got some zeal, man. I don't know if I'd be doing that, but he did it. He rebuked the Lord. See, Jesus is telling his disciples very plainly in Mark 8. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen. And Peter doesn't like that. It doesn't fit his narrative. It doesn't fit his plan, his purpose, what he thinks should be. 
And so he takes Jesus aside. He begins to rebuke him. Now, I don't know exactly. The Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what Peter said. But I got an idea that Peter walked up and said, No. That's not for you. You don't need to do this. Let me remind you, you are God the Son. You are Son of God. You have all the power and authority in your life. You don't need to do this. You can call 10,000 angels, establish your kingdom. Listen, you don't need to do that. See, that's always the view of natural man. That's always the view of our old nature. That's always the view of the fallen man. It shouldn't have to be this way. I'm a child of the king. I gave my life to Jesus. I tithe. I come to church. I read the Bible. It shouldn't have to be this way. See, natural man, fallen man doesn't understand. Doesn't accept the suffering. Doesn't accept the heartache. No, we, fallen man believes that uh, coming to church wasn't designed. We, <laughs> We're not supposed to experience that kind of pain, that kind of suffering, that kind of downer. No, 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 no. There's no suffering, no trials. No, there should be just a golden highway all the way to heaven. See, when Peter's speaking here saying, no, Lord, rebukes the Lord, he's speaking from that that old nature. He's preaching and speaking from his desire, his will, what he wants. There's no humility there whatsoever. You know, and when Peter's speaking that way from his fallen nature, Jesus recognized the origin of that type of reasoning. You know, the scripture says that Jesus would actually turn and he would look at his disciples. And, and, and so he wasn't just looking at Peter, he was looking at his disciples. Now he rebuked Peter. And he says to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Did he become Satan? No. Peter wasn't Satan. But. I think Jesus had a flashback. He's looking at his disciples. He's looked through those disciples. He looked at looked at Peter, and he's looking back to to the time of the Garden of Eden. And and, I, and he knows he knows whose voice had just he knows the voice that just came out. He heard that voice before. It was the evil one. He knew. Sometimes it's what happens to us. James chapter four, verse five and six. So how do we humble ourselves? What's important to humble ourselves? Why? Because Scripture tells us if we humble ourselves, He will do what? Verse 10. He will what? Lift us up. That makes sense. Verse 5 says, Or do you think the Scripture says without reason that the Spirit has caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 says, Humble yourself there before God and before the Lord and He will what? Lift you up. And so that's the question. The question is, how can we humble ourselves? I know how you have to do it. You have to adopt this certain posture. You have to hang your head down. Don't make eye contact. Scuffle your feet a little bit. And repeat after me time and time again. I am a worm. I'm only a worm. I'm a miserable, lowly worm. That's who I am. Nothing more. That's not the humility we're talking about. Are you kidding me? You're a child of the king. There's royal blood in you. Are you kidding me? Kick back. You can shout. Glory. Hallelujah. I know who I am in Jesus. Amen. I'm not some worm. Maybe I was, but God transformed me into a butterfly. Well, man, I like that analogy. He transformed me into something else, bigger and stronger, you know, in him. Hmm. Wow. I have known folks that have done exactly that. They walk around now with this low self-esteem, but that's just a cover because actually they're prideful. 
You just don't know it. Oh, what should I do? You know, I keep myself down, you know. Oh, but inwardly they say, oh, this is who I am. But outwardly they're thinking, I'm better than everybody else. I am. Well, Peter was rebuked by Christ. Now, eventually, Peter would come to an important understanding. He would come to understand just exactly who he was and who the Lord was. Now, remember something. Go back to, go back to when Peter was just on the garden. He says, even if, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Look at this. That pride that's in his life. It's me. I can do this, Lord. Don't you worry about me. I got your back. Okay? It's pretty good. I can do this. I will never, ever forsake you. I won't. Now, you've got to give him some credit. This guy's got zeal, right? He's the one that always steps out of things without thinking things through. But he's got his mouth in gear. He makes these comments and never understands. He's just putting on his bed. Just, this is what the Lord wants. This is what I'm got you, boy, Lord. I got you. Not a Christian do the same thing. We regurgitate exactly what people think, what we think people want to hear. Give him credit for zeal. Zeal in spite of the fact that Jesus said that they, they were all going to run away and hide. That every one of them, the disciples, were cowards at heart. He's telling them this straight out. You're all cowards. You say with one thing, but you're all cowards because when it comes down, push comes to shove, you're all going to run and leave me. How many people today, how many people today absorb with this false view of themselves? <laughs> A view that's f- far from the way God sees them. Why? I am the best, you know. I'm the best there is. I am the best. Well, Peter denied the Lord just like all the rest. He fled. And he fly, He runs away. He's completely broken now. He weeps. His self-image finally comes crashing to the ground. He comes to realize he's not what he thinks he was. He's in despair. He probably feels like, I blew it. It's been uncovered now. Who I am. There's no future for me. I've, a, I've been abandoned by my God. You know, I, I tried to serve Him, but I couldn't do it. In my heart, I wanted to do it. I really wanted to do it. I knew I could do it. I should be able to do it. But you know what? I couldn't. I'm a miserable failure. I blew it. I know God's going to reject me now. I am going to die. He's humbled in His own sight. He's humbled not only in His own sight, but He's also humbled in the sight of our Lord. He's also humbled in the sight of the other disciples because they heard Him boast. I'm not like any of these guys. <laughs> I think they're all thinking, you're right, okay. Who do you think you are? And probably when they fell, they said, he got what he deserved. Thinking he's better than we are. Afterwards, Scripture said the disciples come together, the doors are closed because of fear, right? And suddenly Jesus appeared in the midst and he said to Peter and to the rest, I condemn you, what were you thinking? You fool, get from my presence. He didn't say that. What did he do? He said, peace be with you. That would have lowered the tension just a little bit. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He didn't condemn him. The Lord did not condemn Peter. He didn't bring it up. He commissioned him. Why would he commission him now? Because Peter now was ready to be used of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that in our nothingness, God can finally use us? When we think we're something, we're actually very far from what God intended for us. 
But Jesus charges them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As my Father is sending me, not in my own strength, Jesus is saying, not in my own plans, not in my own wisdom, but in the strength and wisdom of Almighty God. And in that, I'm sending you. I'm commissioning you. Humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourself before the Lord. And what? He will lift you up. Who will deliver me? You know, Peter wasn't the only one that had to be humbled. He wasn't the only one that had to come to a place of humility before he could be lifted up. Paul was also. Paul had to learn that. Paul had this incredible knowledge. He probably was the most brilliant theologian of the, of the New Testament. Yet he found something out. He found that the knowledge alone wasn't enough to bring him to a place where God desired his life to be. And we've gone over this passage so often in Romans chapter 7 and going on to chapter 8. And Paul is reading, he's speaking here in the seventh chapter of this, this struggle that goes on inside of him. He said, I don't understand what to do. I know what I should do, and I really want to do it, but I keep doing what I don't want to do, and I hate the fact that I do what I'm not supposed to do. There's nothing good, verse 18, there's nothing good that lives in me. There's just a sinful nature, there's all fallen nature that's there. And I try to change the outside, try to do all the right things, try to change my environment, but, but oh, I keep blowing it still. I can't carry it out. Verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, he said, the evil I do, don't want to do, I keep doing it. Struggles. I know what I need to do. In fact, I delight in the thought of doing what I should do. But there's a force, he's saying, inside of me that's constantly dragging me in another direction. I find myself doing things that I just don't want to. And I think everyone in this place ought to say, Amen, I, I can feel that right now. I understand that. I'm at that place. I get to that place sometimes. Dark clouds over me. And so Paul asks that question. He asks that question in verse 24. He says, What a wretched man that I am. He says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, all the knowledge I have, all the understanding I have, all the experiences I've had, it's not enough to deliver me. In fact, I'll tell you what, that knowledge you have, I'll tell you what, the knowledge of Scripture, if you're reading Scripture for the wrong, in the wrong light, that knowledge of Scripture can actually condemn you, be a source of despair for you. Did you know that? If you read through the Scripture, you're always picking on the judgment of God and what you should or shouldn't do and get caught up in all that. I'll tell you what, that becomes a place of, the, Bible, the Word of God becomes a place of despair. When you read Scriptures that say to you that you're supposed to love one another, Scriptures are talking about how you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How you're supposed to honor one another and there's supposed to be forgiveness and respect. When you read all those things and you say, no way. I try. I want to. But you don't know who I'm married to. Have you seen my kids lately? So we all know the things we're supposed to do. We read the Scriptures. Then there should be a deep desire to do them, but yet if we're honest, we come to a point where we say, God, I can't do it. I try, but I keep failing. 
There's a law at work inside of me that keeps drawing me to speak and do things that I don't want to do. I'm incapable of changing myself. And he says, who will deliver me from this? Who will deliver me from this? And here's the answer. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am what? I'm a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, slave to law of sin. It's not about the outward stuff. It's about that transformation going on inside. Thank God. Finally comes to the point where he realizes it's impossible for me to live a Christian life in my own strength. I need my Lord. I need that relationship with him. I've got to go beyond the precepts, the law. I've got to look at the principles there and realize those principles are revealing who Jesus really is, the person of Jesus. I'm going to apply that. I want to become more like him, not outwardly, but inwardly. That's true humility. If I was to sum this whole message up in one line or so, True humility comes when all self-effort dies. When we finally realize that we are not called to live this life on our own. Can you say amen? True humility. John chapter 21 verse 18. Now Jesus is talking to Peter here. Now notice I want you to get this because on the surface it's like, yeah, okay. This is going to be my future when I get old. But there's, there's always those principles, always something in that passage the Lord is teaching. Now, here's what he says to Peter. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you what? Wanted. That means you had no discipline. You did your own thing. But when you're old, you will what? Stretch out your hand and someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you what? Do want to go. You know what he's saying here? When you get old, bummer. He's not saying that. He's something, he's, he's relating to Peter something. A spiritual truth. He said, as you grow older, he's, address, he, he's addressing humility. See, when you're a young person, there's no humility. You do what you want to do, dress what you want to dress, go where you want to go. It's all about you. You come out of the mom's womb, you're screaming. Probably because a guy hit you, but you're still screaming. Everything's about you. You're the center of the universe. And so often parents treat you like the center of the universe and it never changes. I'm not here for you, young man. You're here for me. Glory be. And so when you're young, it's about you. But as you get older in the Lord, you begin to recognize the importance of humility. And no longer are you going to do what you want to do. But all of a sudden, something happens in your life where you start being led. And so what the Lord is basically saying, he's saying, Peter, as a young born again, a young believer, in as a young Christian, you've got all this attitude and action, do your own thing, etc. But as you grow in my grace, you recognize the importance of humility and you realize you need to be led. He says that to every one of us, as we grow in the Lord's grace, you need to be led. You need to be led. In fact, I might lead you in places you don't want to go. But the plan and purpose is there. You're going to transform. The kingdom's going to follow you. You're going to take the kingdom. People's lives are going to be changed. 
It's not going to be about you because if it's about me, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid all kinds of confusion. I'm going to avoid all kinds of challenges. I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid the pain. I don't want to go, so I want it to be easy. But when you learn humility, the Lord said, I'll lift you up. And you're not, you're going to a situation, me, I don't want to go, but my grace is going to go with you. There's going to be, the gifts are going to be there. Praise God, good things. Oh my Lord. He's going to work through your life. See, as you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He does. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I thank God that we have the history of this man being raised up out of brokenness and brought into the life of Jesus Christ. Example of a man who, who failed and out of the failure found strength, the strength of God. So, Pastor Bob, I struggle today. Life can be a real struggle. I just feel like, I can't do much more, you know. I just want to lay down here for a little while and rest. Just leave me alone. Don't bother me, okay? I'm just right here. Can't get any farther. It's just the way it is. My water bottle's outside that little screen, but I can't get there. I'm just right here. I'm going to die right now, you know. I tried and tried and tried. There's no victory. I try to find satisfaction. There is none. I'm tired of having no peace and victory at all. No, I'm... I gave it my best shot, you know, so I'm just going to lay right here, you know. You fall on your face. You study, you gain more knowledge, that's as Paul did, but, but there's an inner battle that never goes away. Now you, now you can know how to get there, but you just can't get there. You know what he wants, but ah, you can't figure it out. I'll tell you what you need to do. Start loving Him. Start loving Him with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Just love Him and all your strength. Put together and begin to live out some of the principles of Scripture. Whether you see the, the end result or not, just kind of live out those Scripture verses. Just live out those principles a little bit. I tell you, if you do that, if you love your neighbor as yourself, and you begin to walk into the, you begin to walk in the plan of God, because you're putting other people first. You're putting His kingdom where it needs to be. You're beginning to take your eyes off of this kingdom and beginning to focus on His kingdom, trying to establish His kingdom in your life and those around you. I'll tell you, when you begin to do that, you're humbling yourself before the sight of God. And when you begin to humble yourself before, humble yourself before the sight of God, prison doors will begin to open. Your eyes will begin to see, see truth and wounds of the past, wounds of the heart, be healed. They'll begin to feel healing. As you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, you'll simply be content to do what God's called you to do in the place He's called you to be. See, when we get to heaven, the reward's not going to be how much you accomplished. It's not going to be because you did some big, great thing. No. The reward's going to be that you humbled yourself before Him. You humbled yourself. You humbled yourself in the act of praise, in the worship, in His Word. You humbled yourself. You submitted yourself to who He is. You acknowledge that. It changed the way you buy. It changed the way you live. It changed the way you treat your kids. It changed everything in your life. Because now you're, you transform your thinking from this world to the pattern of God's kingdom. You're living by a different set of rules now. At one point you led yourself, did yourself, dressed yourself, but now there's humility now. Now all of a sudden it's about the kingdom of God. Something bigger and greater than all of us. Amen. 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 You know, we need to trust the Lord step by step.
moment by moment. Not walking in our own strength. Not walking in our own zeal. But allowing the risen Christ to be lifted up. And so that we get to the end, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It wasn't like, so how many cars did you get? I like that bank account. How many barns did you have? Don't be like that. It'd be well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Amen. See, there's only one way out of self-effort. That self-effort's got to die. It cannot be a plan B. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, we go to the Lord, we got a plan B just in case. Because God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> it's not a scripture, it's not a principle, it's just not there. Come on now. That plan B, all that, that toiling plan B, all the strategies need to be gone. And finally, you've got to get a place in our life where we say, I can't do this, I can never do this, forgive me for thinking that I could, forgive me for wanting things in my life that aren't <laughs> just outside of your will. Help me to find and follow your plan for my life and for my children's life and for those around me. Let me walk in that. Rest assured. Rest assured that his plans are not too hard to find. They're not. If we take away the fog of this old world, anoint our eyes, Lord, that we can see beyond. We can see eternally. We can begin to see that, that there's more, more to life than what we can see around us. Amen. Amen. I tell you what, you guys got pretty good control and restraint to be able to sit there during that song. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. We should be able to rejoice and praise His holy name for all He's done. We'll continue to do. Amen. Because since then, Jesus has brought me out, brought me out. Amen. I'm on my way. Amen. And we'll continue. Amen. That's right. I love the way they do that too. They kind of jump around a little bit. They turn themselves around. You know, so. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for the day you've given to us. Father, I pray that the words come forth in a way that uh, we'll be able to apply to our lives. Father, we'll leave this place rejoicing. It's been good to be in your house. Recognize the promise that we'll be lifted up. In those times when we're in despair, Lord God, and we seem like so much is coming against us and things don't seem to be fair and right. Father, you give us the promise that you'll lift us up. I need to humble myself before you, Lord. Cry out unto you. Evaluate my priorities, the reason why I'm looking for certain things and why I expect certain ways. And Father, yield myself to you completely. And Father, invite you into the situation. And Father, inviting the situation, you into the situation, doesn't mean that it's going to turn out like I want it to. But my life will be turned around as you would want it to. I'll begin to see things differently. And you receive that glory in the honor, we pray. And the world will be better off because of the decision I've made to follow you. We love you a bunch. Keep us salty, Lord. Keep us salty. And you receive the glory in the honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.